Hello and welcome back to our series of podcasts at Seven Vineyard on encounters with God. We are looking at people in the Old Testament who've met God. Wow. And seeing what we can learn from them. Is there something that we can learn about God? Is there something that we can even learn about ourselves? Is there something that we can apply to our lives today? My name is Bern Leckie and I'm joined by Liz Nixon. Hello, Liz. Hello. And Liz you did a fantastic talk at seven on Sunday about a character called Hagar. And who is Hagar? Yeah, good question. Uh, she's not very known in the Bible. And I think that's probably because she's part of Abraham's story. So Abraham, whose name is later changed to Abraham, she um, effectively becomes his second wife. Um, and yeah, so that's how she fits into the Bible. But I guess because we talk about Abraham, we don't necessarily think about yeah this this girl Hagar and we tend to think of him more than her so that's yeah that's who I I spoke on yesterday got it so just to focus on Abraham or a- Abraham uh, for a minute one of the first things that comes to mind for me is that song I learned when I was little about <laughs> father Abraham a man father Abraham now I don't know if I'm one of them or also you <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly fair, because this is quite an important thing to know. What does it mean to be a son of Father Abraham? And does it matter kind of who, who the mum is? How does that work? Yeah, good question. So Abraham had two wives. Firstly, Sarai, um, who later becomes Sarah. And then um, this servant girl, Hagar, who is forced to, to marry Abraham. So she has Abraham's first child, is a boy called Ishmael. And Abraham and Sarah have a son together. And he is Isaac. And interestingly, as you kind of see throughout the whole of the Bible, you would expect that it's the firstborn that kind of steps up and everything comes through him. But actually, the way that the Bible does it, it inverts it. So it's the second son who is the favoured one. And God says that the promise um, of that one who's going to come will come through Isaac rather than his firstborn. Two sons by two different women but both lead to multitudes and and nations being built up through them. So, yeah, I mean, Father Abraham did have many, many sons. Yeah. So, okay, so it's the sons through Sarah, or Sarah, as she becomes known, and that becomes the nation of Of Israel. Israel, right, yes. So back to Hagar then. Why did she come into the picture at all? We don't know. She was probably given as um, a gift from the king of Egypt when Abraham and Sarai visited Egypt. We don't quite know. That's just guesswork, to be honest. But Hagar is Egyptian. We know that Abraham and Sarah went there. The Bible does say that they were given servants and camels and donkeys and stuff like that by the king of Egypt. So we assume that's how she probably came into their possession. Um, And yeah, I mean, Abraham and Sarai, it's a sad story for them. They have had years and years of not being able to have children. Um, Abraham is 85. uh, Sarai is in her 70s. I think she's about 75. So they must have had years of hoping for a baby in it and it not working out. And God has promised Abraham just a few chapters before that he is going to be a father of a nation. So they they have this in their head, like they are going to be parents and it's going to be to a multitude. 
but it's still not happening. God has promised it and it's not happened. And I think Sarah just reaches breaking point. She's like, I've had enough. I can't, I can't wait. I can't do this anymore. She sees this young servant girl. Um, we assume she's young because she gets pregnant pretty quickly. Um, and she takes her and she gives her to her husband and her husband gets her pregnant. Um, and it's really interesting because it's language straight from the Garden of Eden. This whole thing about seeing something is good, um, taking it and giving it to the husband. You think that's exactly what happened in the garden. Eve saw the fruit. She mm -hmm. saw that it was good. She took it and she gave it to her husband. And we know what happened as a result of that. The fall happened. They disobeyed God and were thrown out of the garden. And actually, it's not too dissimilar to what happens here. Uh, Sarai sees Hagar think she'll be good for building up her own family um, instead of trusting God. And so she gives her to her husband and there is effectively a banishment. Hagar runs away because of how she is later treated by Sarai. So it's very similar language. Um, and oh. yeah, I mean, I picked that up from the Bible Project. They do amazing stuff um, and they highlight that there are a few things like that where there's the specific wording that is kind of reflecting what's gone on in the garden of eden of seeing something taking it david is another example he sees bathsheba bathing naked on the rooftop and he decides he wants her she's pleasing to his eyes he's he takes her and again like the devastation that comes as a result of that seeing and taking yeah, it's not good, but it's it's fascinating how the, the biblical writers have pulled this together to show you this theme is going on through the Bible, that people see things with their eyes and they're just like, yep, I want it, I'm going to take it, and it's not good. I see. So how would Hagar have felt about all this, do you think? Because she was in this situation, she didn't get a choice about being a slave, and, and I guess she had to do what she was told in this situation as well. Yeah. What, what, what would she have expected? I, I think this is really tricky. And this is something that I struggled with when writing the talk. You want to be aware of um, not being obtuse to what's going on and the reality. So, you know, worst case scenario, she has been just given over by the king of Egypt, um, having been taken from her family. She's a servant there. She's then given to Abram. Abram then gives her to Sarai. Sarai is then, oh, you can have her to give me a child. So there's a lot of treating her a bit like she's a possession. Oh, you have her. Oh, you have her. You do what you want with her. You can do this. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's the kind of worst case scenario that they're treating her as a nobody um, and just using her for their own purposes, um, which obviously is awful. And but there is the kind of thing of, well, if you're a servant girl, so there's kind of a contrast that some people think it's a slave. Some people think it's a servant. It's more likely a servant girl who just actually was doing quite a good job. That's why she was given to Abraham because hey, um, Sarah was like, <clears throat> yeah, this girl is good. So, yeah, I think there is that thing of she was elevated to the status of wife. Now, she wasn't treated particularly fair. Abraham still didn't use her name. Um, but some girls might have seen that as, oh, I'm now a wife in a household. And we know that Abraham is a man with wealth. God certainly favours him. So it might have seemed like an opportunity to be elevated to the status of wife. Um, and I know that might be a bit controversial because... 
we, well, we just we just don't know. And I think that's what mm. can be hard with some stories in the Bible. We don't know what Hagar thought, um, but I think it's it's somewhere between the two of those. She was either forced into marriage or she was like, oh, maybe this could work out all right. Yes, yes. So one of the things that strikes me as difficult from her story is that she did what she was asked to do. It all worked out well. Yeah. And pregnancy was seen as a blessing, like a good thing. It's like, okay, I can see everyone would have been angry if this hadn't worked, but this has worked. So why am I now being mistreated? That seems like she's caught in a real bind there. And that, and isn't that what sort of drives her away? I mean, this was the master plan. This was Sarah's master plan. That yeah. Hagar would get pregnant. She would kind of adopt the boy as her own. And then she could build, Sarah could build her own family line through her, her servant. That was the plan. Yeah. And so when the plan actually works, and there is there is something that says um, Hagar became proud, and we don't know what that means. It says she looked on her mistress with contempt is one of the translations. Uh, so again, there's there's a lot in this story about eyes and how you see things and how you see people. Yeah. Um, Abraham and Sarah thought it was okay to just look at her as a possession. Um, Hagar looks on Sarah with contempt and pride and maybe it's along the lines of well i've been able to get pregnant you couldn't oh i see who's more the woman here like me i'm the one that got (laughs) pregnant after sleeping with your husband um so she kind of has that attitude which is then why sarah afflicts her um, and abuses her so the word afflict is the same word that's used of when the Egyptians afflict the israelites when they're down in egypt which is very interesting um the contrast of you know, this poor Egyptian servant girl being afflicted by the Israelite uh, man and woman. And then it then becomes a whole nation of Israelites are afflicted by the the Egyptians. That's still to come in the story. So it's just kind of a foreshadow, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, I see. So what happens then when Sarah starts to mistreat Hagar and Hagar runs off? Yep, yep. She runs into the wilderness um, and she, you know, she's pregnant. She would have known she's pregnant. and so she stops for a rest. Um, and I said, mentioned in my talk that the place where they um, where she stops is um, a spring. Mm. And um, yeah, that spring is called seeing. So again, it goes back to that whole thing of eyes and sight and vision. It comes up a lot within this story. Um, so at the spring of seeing, an angel of the Lord appears to him. So he makes himself visible or seen to Hagar at this spring as she's stopping for a rest, probably for a drink, wanting to rest after having run away so yeah that's when the angel of the lord appears to her unexpected plot twist um right so what's god's take on all this then yeah it's really interesting i love i love that the angel firstly calls out her name um abraham and sarah don't do that they just call her servant servant you're my servant you go sleep with my servant that's how they talk about her but this angel of the lord straight away is like Hagar. And I just think, wow, how long had it been since somebody had used her name and spoken to her and actually known who she was? So, yeah, I just love like the intimacy that God quickly reveals to her. Hmm. That sounds like something which might be relatable today then, Uh, because the whole business of what what would we do if we were slaves in in another country kind of still... in another time uh, obviously feels far away but how does it feel like to be seen by God Mm. what is that about for you 
I think it is that thing of just being seen by anyone means that you matter to them, that you're important, that you you are there. And so if you're seen by somebody really important, um, you know, that thing about if if you meet a celebrity, you're like, oh, I can't believe I met them. Like I saw them and they saw me like I'm, you know, there's this kind of feeling of, ah. Oh, I matter because I saw that person and they saw me. And I think, yeah, it's that same kind of thing, isn't it? Like if God, the God who made everything, who's currently sat on a throne, like high up in the heavens, sees me. Yeah. Like maybe I'm important because there's like billions of people that he could see. And yet he chooses to see me. And I just think, yeah, I, I mean, I quoted David in my um in my talk but David says who am I that God is mindful of me and you're like yeah why why would God take notice of me when there's so many other things he could be getting on with and doing and so many other people but he is mindful of me it's just mind-blowing and it feels a bit impossible to believe but it is true it is true yes yes I see and, and, and so I suppose there's, there's a thing of like think about a celebrity you, you might be one of thousands of people in the crowd and everybody knows who they are on stage but if they then turn around and, and call your name out yeah it's like whoa <laughs> uh, how do you know me how do you know me yeah who are you what did i tell you how that happened to me once no i went to to uh, see kelly clarkson uh do a gig uh in and and she and she was doing quite well by that stage i think she had her first or second album out at that point and uh and and so all the crowd knew the words and everyone was singing along with all the songs and we had a great time and and it was for work so so we got specially ushered into the sort of the backstage area afterwards to do a little meet and greet and and we were all a bit kind of yeah we met lots of famous people but she was on the level of you know like doing it all around the world and and yeah. kind of you know we were all a bit nervous oh what do we say to Kelly Clarkson and she and and when she comes out she says hi Bern uh, what how do you and the weird thing was i just forgot that we'd met <laughs> like three years before we'd met under slightly unusual circumstances because when we'd met the first time she was brand new and she was uh and no and she no one had promoted her in britain at all they hadn't shown the tv show that she'd uh american idol that she won they hadn't shown it on any proper channels or anything so really hardly anyone knew who she was but we would picked up on her anyway because i like to keep my ears open and 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 we played her stuff on the radio and so we'd had a chat and we'd also because i found out she was a christian we had a bit of a chat about faith uh while no one else was there and a bit of a pray together um which which we don't normally do yeah. uh, on, a, on a work interview thing and so yeah and i'd just forgotten but she remembered isn't that remarkable that hmm. she remembered your name she remembered that you were from bristol yeah You're like wow what attention to detail like and <laughs> just what kindness of her character that she remembers people and you think that is what god is like she is being like god she's remembering you in the same way god remembers everything about us um, yes yes really cool, isn't it? I, I, absolutely yes and it and it reminded me uh i suppose it it made me feel kind of very inadequate for a moment <laughs> thinking that, trying to imagine the life of of anyone like a person who has to deal with like hundreds thousands and thousands and thousands of people all, all the time that, that some things would stick out 
yeah, it is special for someone to be known by someone who who has to know thousands of people. And so, yeah, you, you multiply that up into like, well, how how special it is to be known by God, <laughs> who knows yeah. all the billions of people who've whoever been and ever will be. Um, just that thought of being known and loved and called out by God is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, some would say literally incredible but that's our faith that as incredible as it seems it's a real thing yeah so back to Hagar and how Hagar's story kind of makes us feel makes you feel what's for you is that significance of being known and called out and called by name what what is Hagar given that makes her feel special God gives her a lot. So he says that um, she's pregnant, that she's going to have a son, that this son is going to be called Ishmael, um, and that this boy is not going to be a servant like she was. He's going to be independent. He'll get to roam free in the land. He'll rule over um, his brothers. Um, yeah, and that he will have lots of descendants. So she is given the same promise. That, and I find this amazing. Um, you know, we think of Abraham as like the father of, you know, the faith. And yet Hagar is given exactly the same promise as him. She is told that she um, she will be the mother of like multitudes. Um, and this is just a foreign Egyptian servant girl. She's not she's not the man. She's not the chosen man, but she is still chosen in a different way. And I think that's what's really remarkable about her story. And it just shows you that we can see people and think, oh, yeah, we think they're in or we think they're out. Um, and it would be easy to look back at the scriptures and think, well, yeah, we can see why Hagar is out because she's female, um, she's Egyptian, she's a servant. But God is like, no, nope, she's in. I want her to be the mother of a, of a nation. And you're like, wow, like God is so gracious and so kind. And we don't know why he chooses who he chooses, but he doesn't just choose the obvious people. Mm. And so what do you think that would have meant for her at the time to be turned around literally by God and saying saying you know you've come from this circumstance of where it looks really difficult at home but I'm giving you this purpose and I'm telling you what your family is going to be what do you think life would have felt like then well I think I think it's interesting because her circumstances didn't change she went back and we don't really know but God wasn't promising to change the immediate circumstances he was talking about mm. the future and I think we can, I, I can certainly relate to being given prophetic words about, you know, like who my children will be and um, what my life might look like. And it's just, I think it brings joy and excitement and um, yeah, that sense of purpose that we all need. And we need to feel like we're here for a reason that we matter, we belong, that we're meant for something more than ourselves. And I think that's, that's what happens to me when I receive prophetic words. And I think probably similar for Hagar she probably would have been like I can't believe that God has chosen me but he has this is great um yeah I'm gonna enjoy this and enjoy the God that's given me this good gift amazing yes that's the sort of healthy end of don't you know who I am <laughs> when yeah. yeah when you get into confrontations and you want to say to people but don't you know <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm an important person I'm significant and sometimes that comes out really badly <laughs> yeah. But but I guess inside it can give you that strength, can't it? When you know yeah. that 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 yes, you're not def just defined by that argument that you happen to have just gotten into, but you are this person who's who's who, who's who's got this purpose to do all these other things. And she's willing to go back. I mean, the first thing the angel says to her is like, "You need to go back to your mistress." 
And then he gives the promise. And you just think, yeah, she was willing to go back based on her encounter with God. And I just think that's so brave. She had just run away from an abusive environment and she's willing to go back because she's strengthened and empowered by God and what he has said to her. And like, that's the real impact of God. Like one word from God can change everything in you, but doesn't necessarily change everything outside of you. And I think that's what you've seen quite a few of the Bible characters. It's not that their situation change. It's that they change and they're able to face what's going on in their lives. I just think that's amazing. And that's that's God. That's who he is. That's how he works. And where have you seen that working today? You mentioned about prophetic words and and, and how they've given you a similar sort of strength or purpose or, or hope. Uh, is, there, is there anything particular that you're carrying that you'd like to share? Yeah. So I think we... A couple of years ago, just before COVID, we had um, Tom Camacho um, come and do some coaching with us um, for our leadership and for our staff. And he did an evening with the staff team. And um, I'd I'd been coming out of a difficult season and I've been praying all day like, God, please let him notice me. Please let me be able to have a coaching session with him. And he did. He coached me. It, It was quite vulnerable. I was doing it in front being coached in front of the whole staff team. So you're aware that you're pouring out your heart of what you really want. And that's. I think that can be hard because when you say what you want, people then know and expect you to like live into that. Anyway, um, Tom was just doing like he does and was asking questions. And he just said, um, he just affirmed me and was like, you're a teacher. And I was like, uh, I think it's that whole thing of if you if you say yes. I mean, I, I love the Bible. I, I can't get enough of it. I love reading it I love exploring it I love watching the bible project stuff um I love talking about it um and I've always kind of felt this I would love to be able to preach from the front but I I think I felt like I couldn't that that wasn't my place that I wasn't good enough to do that um and so to have somebody so publicly to the staff team just say you are a teacher I just felt like that was God affirming me in that and I think from since then, I believe it. Now, I'm not, right. I'm, I'm not a fully formed teacher. I know that I have to grow in the skill, but I know without doubt, God has made me to teach the Bible. I can't not teach. It's who I am. Like everything I do, I just can't help but talk about God. And I think having that, like, this is who I am, I then live into it, um, which is, you know, I've just done my third talk um, and I'm very new to it. And I know that I'm not skilled as a teacher yet, but I know it's who I am and I know that's my future. That's my purpose. I'm meant to teach the Bible. So everything I'm doing is to try and improve and come up to speed so that I can be a great teacher um, and just live into who I am. So it was really profound for me, really profound being being told that publicly and then being like, I've got a choice now. I either just be like, oh, yeah, that's a nice thing and do nothing about it or I step into it, I practice, I learn. And when I'm given opportunities, I say yes, because I am a teacher. Um, So if someone asks me to teach, I say yes. Okay, and I can see what a big kind of, not just a confidence boost, but uh, that sort of sense of purpose that that's given you has really shaped your choices. And and then, uh, then, yeah, as you say, you've lived up to it. Um, I'm just thinking about someone who might be listening to this who thinks, well, I would like that. (laughs) I would like to that sort of encounter with God. But you never know when an angel is just going to show up, like like for H- Hagar. And I don't know if an angel 
was part of your story, but it sounds like someone came along, someone else came along with a word. How how can someone who's who's listening who would like to have that sort of encounter? Where should they be looking? How does God? How can God speak into uh, our lives? Yeah, good question. I I think this is what the church is meant for. We are meant to call out what we the good that we see in each other. Um, so in the same way um, that we've talked about, you know, we see, um, we, you know, Sarai saw the good in Hagar and then use that for bad purposes. We are to call out what we see is good in people like, ah, oh, thank you so much for praying for me. You had such great words when you were saying that or, oh, you're so great with little children. Have you thought about doing this? Or, yeah, I really like the way that you wrote those couple of phrases, um, have you thought about writing something more? So I think it's just seeing um, who people are and calling out the gold that's within them because everyone is made in the image of God. God has placed something unique in each of us. And yeah, we get the joy of being able to say, yeah, Bern, you're so great at communicating and making things happen in that sphere, like do more of it. And yeah, I think it's really important that we do that. Um, and as we are people who do that, people will do it to us as well. We'll gradually have a culture of people just calling out the best and what we see people and people will then be able to move more into their giftings, what they were made for, and ultimately thrive and flourish. So I am hearing you talking about not just a sort of a sitting around and waiting or or for a like for a big flash of inspiration to come along. But, but for us to be part of a culture where we aren't just getting inspiration from other people, but we are expecting to be part of yeah. the inspiring others as well. Absolutely. What do, we, what do we need to do? Is there anything we need to do to, be, to get better at that? And so that we know that it's, you know, we're sharing whatever it is God wants us to share and not just kind of going off on our own weirdness. Yeah, I, I think... You know, we, we all partake in things and it doesn't have to be in like our church context. It can be at work. It can be with our children. You know, um, like with my children, we try and call out, oh, that was so kind of you to help your sister. Like what mm. a caring brother you are. That was such a good thing to do. Um, so I think it can be in any setting, but particularly within church. I mean, just saying to the worship band, oh, I really enjoyed the set that you chose. Thank you for choosing that. And it's just willing to like like say thank you to people and oh that was a really great talk or oh, I love the prayers that you did or thank you for serving me a cup of coffee um like it's really little things but it just um it, it really impacts people I think the church will thrive when people are doing what they were made to do um, and being who they were made to be by God um and we need to encourage people to step into what they were made to do so I think more of these conversations would be great um that's part of the reason why i'm a coach um i recently trained as a coach within the vineyard and um coaching is brilliant for helping people move towards a life of flourishing and thriving so i think coaching is a great tool having conversations with people calling out the gold all the things all of these things are really good for helping people move towards yeah their purpose and who god has made them to be that's great and you mentioned the gold a couple of times <laughs> and, and i recognize this as the other sort of thing that you're carrying just tell us about that so the gold is a course that my husband and i run um and it's very much about taking you through um a process of understanding your relationship with god the father um your identity in jesus and then working out your purpose in in partnering with the holy spirit so it's a course that we run each term um i 
it, it was amazing. I was struggling with knowing how to structure my talk on Hagar. And um, God spoke to me in a dream and he was like, it's the gold. And yeah, God was right. It is the gold because when he approaches Hagar, he builds relationship with her. He goes after her. He shows her that he cares. Like that's relationship building stuff. And then he tells her who she is. Like you are going to be the mother of a nation. I have seen you. I have loved you. I have chosen you. So he's like reinforcing who she is and who she has always been. And then finally he gives her this purpose of this boy is going to, you know, be part of a multitude of descendants for you. So he really does do that. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that I didn't see that within the text, given how clued up I am to relationship identity and, and purpose. And God really kindly gave it to me and I was able to shape my talk around that. Um, so we love the gold. We try and run it um, most terms. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a really great thing. And we both my husband and I have really grown through doing it repeatedly. <laughs> right. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in this process of, oh, I wonder what God would say to me if I was in this position. Is there a way of finding out more about this idea of purpose? Um, then then gold's quite a good way of exploring that. Yeah, yeah? absolutely. Yeah. And we, we run it on a kind of in a group session um, online. And um, we've also done some mentoring of it. So we do it on a one on one basis as well. So that can be a good way to run through the course too, um, as a kind of mentoring relationship. So yeah, there's a number of ways that we that we do it to try and bring some flexibility to how people live and how they want to do stuff. Fantastic. So if that sounds interesting to you, get in touch and, uh, and have a look at when we're next doing the gold course. Thank you so much, Liz, um, for, for chatting about Hagar. Thanks, Ben. Uh, thank you for joining us. We will come back uh, next time with someone else from the series, but I'm not that quite sure, actually, at this point, who it's going to be. I believe Jess will be speaking on Moses. Oh, excellent. We'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>